Support for WFIU News comes from the IU Alumni Association, now offering IU Proud, a member program designed for recent graduates and those facing economic hardship. More information at alumni.iu.edu join. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Lori McRobbie. Today we're talking about the uh, return to school by high school, middle school, elementary school students and some of the concerns people might have about this upcoming year. We have three guests with us from the MCC who are joining us uh, today. We have April Hennessy in the studio. She's an MCCFC board member. Mitch Bratton is joining us by Zoom. He's Director of Special Education for MCCSC. And Acacia Axum is the Director of Health Services for MCCSC. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to us at news at indianapublicmedia.org or you can join us on the air by calling in at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and you can send us your questions there. So thank you all for being here. I know it's a busy time for everybody. Um, MCCSC has been back in about three weeks now. That's right. All right, so we're we're finally getting to this show. April Hennessy, you're on the MCCSC board. You've been on for two years. You're not running in this year's election, so we don't have any worries about your opponents being mad that we have you on the show. I'm happy about that. I wanted to ask you about you know, the, the rhythm of being a board member. You're not somebody who goes back in a classroom or anything like that, but does back-to-school time, what's that mean to you as a, as a member of the board? Well, as a member of the board, we meet all year round, so we don't really take a break during the summer. Although, you know, often those those meetings can be slightly lighter. Um, but you know, as we roll back into the school year, it's just really important for us to be aware of what's going on locally and then also nationally. So, of course, you know, I I know you have some things on the agenda today about health and things like that. Um, but our primary job as we roll into the school year is really just to support the superintendent and his administration as they, you know, get back into the classroom. All right, we have we have lots of topics we can ask you about, but that that uh, separation of powers between the superintendent and the board is a very important thing. So absolutely, we will make sure and keep that in mind yeah. as we go through. Mitch Bratton, director of special education. I know you have a, a a big job at the MCCSC, so can you sort of talk to us about what what all you're responsible for? Yeah, so. Um, my um, official title is Director of Special Education. So um, I oversee um, all of the special education programming, um, you know, for, for students in MCCSC, um, as well as um, the staff that are associated with that. Um, but I also, um, um, not represented by a title, but um, I also, um, as a superintendent's cabinet member, um, I, um, I have a couple other people that report to me um, Director of Health Services, Acacia Axum is one of them. And uh, Becky Rose, the Director of Student Services is another. So, um, you know, um, they report to me and, and I have some oversight of their programs. Um, and um, so I'm often, you know, communicating and, and consulting with them as well. Okay, just for uh, definition's sake, what all falls under student services? <laughs> a lot, a lot uh, can fall under student services. I, it is a broad title, right? Um, so typically speaking, um, when we say student services, um, I mean, it can range anything from, you know, attendance um, to a, a lot of times most people associate um, uh, social workers and social work services 
Um, I think the, the counseling department also falls within that area too. So guidance counselors, um, essentially, you know, all the things that um, the students might come to the office for, for, you know, any kind of help and support, um, it kind of falls in that realm, so. All right, and before I, I let Lori start asking some questions, I wanna ask uh, Acacia Axum to talk a little bit about you know, your role as health services, director of health services for MCCSC. I would assume that that role has um, intensified with COVID, with monkeypox, with those kinds of illnesses out there. Yes. Hi, my name is Acacia Axum. Um, I am over health services, so I oversee all of the um, health offices in each of the school buildings for MCCSC. Um, so I kind of maintain the staffing for each of those offices and ensure that all of the staff are, are trained adequately to be able to provide um, student care and meet all of the student needs within the corporation. And then I also um, am over kind of setting up those community health and well-being opportunities for students. So all of the, the vision screenings, um, immunization clinics, things like that, I oversee so that we can provide those opportunities to students. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, sort of taking off on your comments about um, thinking about personnel, I think uh, for each of you, uh, just a general question about what personnel chance challenges you're um, seeing and anticipating with teachers, bus drivers, healthcare workers in the schools. Um, Mitch, maybe we can start with you. Are you anticipating teacher shortages? Are you experiencing teacher shortages uh, and anticipating others as you look ahead? Well, much like what we see in the school world here and within MCCSE is, um, you know, kind of a general reflection of, you know, what we see out in the community and society as a whole. Um, I think we're experiencing some of the same challenges as other areas, um, right? You know, um, coming, you know, I mean, we're coming from the, the pandemic and as things have, have shifted over time, um, you know, I think the whole um, work world has seen a little bit of a challenge in filling um, open positions. And I think education has been a little bit into the spotlight, um, you know, because there are those that have said that, um, you know, it is, it has been, it's always been a challenging profession, but um, it's, you know, come under fire a little bit, um, just in terms of, um, you know, some of the criticisms and, and things like that. But um, I think, you know, I think we are very fortunate though in MCCSC, um, you know, I, I'm biased, but we're, we're a wonderful place to work. Um, you know, we have a great reputation for serving students. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're, we're, fortunate and lucky that you know we we are filling positions um not that they're all completely filled but um you know we're, we're able to um you know do things with the resources that we have in terms of the the pay and 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 the benefits um that maybe some other corporations aren't able to do um and you know that has helped us um you know we've been able to do some creative things with um um, for example, the bus driver incentive um, that the board just voted on and, um, you know, just some other things that we're, you know, to meet these kinds of challenges, um, you know, we, ha we have to be creative, think, out think outside the box um, and, and use strategies that are going to um, uh, allow us to uh, uh, continue to recruit, attract and, and hire um, for the positions that we have that are um, still uh, not filled. Yeah, yeah, and and retain April. I wonder if you can comment on some of those same issues as a school board member. Obviously, that's a balancing act with other priorities. So, what what's that conversation been like, particularly around what you've done with the bus drivers? Yeah, I think um, you know Mitch is exactly right. We've tried to really put some programs out there, incentive programs, and things like that to to sort of be attractive and recruit. And I know that. Dr. Hoswald said in our last board meeting that the bus driver incentive program already um, resulted in like nine new hires for bus drivers. So it's working. You know, it's something that um, is, I think, innovative and it's working as we see. But we're not just focused on immediate sort of hiring. We're also focused on retention and also recruitment of diversity, faculty and things like that, because as we know, and we say over and over, representation matters. So, you know, our strategic our strategic plan, sorry, for the next three and a half years also addresses this. And I think um, and this stuff is all accessible to the public. But you'll see at the end of the school year, one of our last topics that we deal with is sort of diversity hiring and recruitment. And 
so we are definitely looking not only at the moment, but at the future as well and how we can kind of build up those mm-hmm. um, programs and, and our policies to make MCCSC more attractive to work yeah. at. Have you yeah. been yeah. able to move? One of the other things that I could point out that um, I'm thinking about it just because um, I was engaged in an activity along with it yesterday is um, we, we have this uh, program that we call um, mm-hmm. uh, our Parapathway yep. program. So yep. um, that's where we are. Uh, we have a cohort of um, a particular group of paraprofessionals that have kind of went through this application process um, that we've selected um, roughly around 15 of our current paraprofessionals that are, uh, we're supporting in a cohort for them to be able to um, gain teacher licensure. Um, and um, they had some uh, training at the CoLab yesterday for them. Um, I went and spoke and my um, assistant director, uh, Jennifer Bickle, they were talking about some, a uh, little bit of education on, on special education um, uh, matters. And so, um, you know, just made me think about that because it's that's one of the creative outside of the box programs that that we've um, kind of engaged in to help fill our positions and um, you know grow our own, as we yeah, say. Um, right. You know, we we want people that are working with us. We want to support them and being able to uh, move into positions that um, you know they want to. And and what what better way to, um, than to fill our teaching positions with aspiring. Um, uh, with paraprofessionals that we have that are aspiring uh, teachers. That's great. And Acacia, I'm, are, are you finding any uh, sort of staffing issues with respect to uh, trained medical personnel that you need to have uh, in the medical, the health services offices across the system? No, I think that staffing everywhere in the medical field is kind of challenging. Um, it's It's been somewhat difficult in the school setting simply because school nursing and school health care is so different from what is seen in a hospital or a clinic setting. Um, we have been very fortunate in this department. Most of our staff um, have came back this year. We actually only started um, with three open positions and we have just filled those. So, you know, it is, it's been imperative that we um, have individuals that are willing to learn and, and we have had great luck with that. Um, and it's really helped with our retention here. We have found that providing the training and support in the school healthcare setting, providing that to our employees helps with that retention and helps them feel supported in their position. Oh, that's great. All right, I, I was gonna ask uh, the question about moving the needle on the diversity issue. Is that one of the areas that this paraprofessional program is going to help? April? Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure who that yeah, was yeah, for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mitch, I can, you, I can yeah. chime in too. Sure, go um, ahead. And, yeah. In fact, um, it's one of the areas that um, that particular program, um, so one, one of the objectives within it is that, um, you know, we were looking for um, you know, one of the criterias in terms of the applications and and things um, where we we were we wanted to use that program as a means to be able to um, help to diversify our staff, and and so that was one of the things we were looking at as people applied and as we were selecting people. So, um, um, and and I would say that um, you know it's it's been successful with that so far. All right. If you have any questions or comments for our. Uh, guests today. We're talking with three people from the Monroe County Community School Corporation about uh, back to school time and about all the issues facing public education today. We have April Hennessy, a board member, Mitch Bratton, Director of Special Education, and Acacia Axum, Director of Health Services. Our phone numbers are 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. April, I know that one of the controversial things that happened at the beginning of this year was uh, changing the start times for schools. Can you explain uh, the rationale for doing that and what the benefits are sure. for for students and for the corporation? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it was controversial to some extent. I think, you know, very often we do hear from from certain parts of the population and certain voices, but certainly we heard from others, too, who felt like, you know, the move was helpful in a variety of ways. 
Um, it was important because last year we were running with a huge bus driver deficit. And so our route times and our, our learning times were being sort of um, cut by the fact that buses were, were late because we just weren't staffed. So moving to this four-tiered system allows us to staff our routes um, more efficiently. And so far, we've found that that's absolutely true. And uh, with the addition of nine new drivers, um, we're going to continue to see that, you know, the efficiency increase. And the thing is, like, this kind of hub-and-spoke um, system actually lends itself to accessibility um, and to increased opportunity because at some point in the future, and Dr. Hoswald spoke to this at the last board meeting, um, we can provide more access to different programs in the district, right? So if a student wanted to get from one building to another because a program existed at one school that doesn't exist at another, they now have access through that kind of hub-and-spoke system. That's a couple years down the road, obviously, um, as we work through this. but. That's one of the big things, and I think, you know, one of the things that people don't really see, and so we had a consulting firm work with us. Uh, we saw lots and lots and lots of plans. The administration did so much work to vet those that those plans, and so um, it wasn't just sort of flippantly presented, right, to the community. Um, and so one of the things that we do know is that there are districts who've cut busing altogether because they just can't do it. There are districts who are only busing every other day because they can only provide busing on some days and not others. There are some who've contracted with public busing to provide um, things like that. So, you know, this is, this is the best that we could offer in this particular climate, and I do think that it's a good solution ultimately Though I, I do recognize that for some families it's a burden, right? And so part of what we've done because of that is to expand our extended day options. And that means that, you know, families who qualify for free and reduced lunch also qualify for like, sort of free and reduced extended care as well. Um, so we've tried to, to meet and match and sort of mitigate some of those burdens in that way. Um, but change is always hard, right? It, it takes time to work through these things for sure. Yeah, and certainly, as we have seen in so many ways, these um, all of these systems are are interconnected with a lot of other systems, Absolutely. like a access to childcare, start times of certain occupations and jobs and so forth. So, right. you can't you can't tinker with these things without disrupting others. And yeah, as you say, they're hard. I want to um, turn a little bit to the fact that we're we hopefully coming out of the pandemic, but obviously the last two years have been very, very tough for students and for teachers. Um, and of course, beyond that, what are you seeing? And, and of course, we kind of aware generally that that a lot of students have learning deficits because of the, the nature of how they were able to participate and or not. What are you seeing in MCCSC? And perhaps that's an elementary versus middle school versus high school kind of question. Um, with respect to the impact of, of COVID on how students learn. Yeah, I'm going to let Mitch take first yeah, on this one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sure. Um, well, you know, I from lots, so we're looking at lots of different kinds of data uh, in order to, you know, really see what our local impact um, has been and, and really be precise about what the specific areas are. I mean, I think we can see nationally um, from you know, studies that have been um, completed and, and the data from that, that it's not been good anywhere, um, the overall impact. So um, our our charge then moving forward is to, to rebound um, and do so in, in, in the best way possible, knowing that it's, um, you know, we're gonna have to work really hard to catch kids up and, and then excel them forward. Um, and we're, um, talk about behind the scenes, wow, um, the amount of, of work, effort, and time that has went into um, looking specifically at um, the data and um, of student learning, and then um, the planning and, and strategizing on exactly what to do, um, you know, to help us respond uh, most effectively has been amazing. All the way from you know the 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 planning and support that we're doing at the administrative um, uh, level, you know, all the way down into what principals do in buildings, and then. Uh, to what teachers and, and support staff do. So, um, you know, I think, um, you know, so now our conversation is about um, how we are um, engaging in the exact precise activities that are gonna help us um, accelerate student learning and, and move beyond this. Because we, um, you know, there, there are some positive, definitely positives about where we're at now, um, just in terms of how we've, 
we've managed, um, you know, COVID. Um, but I think we're we're um, we're at a different place now, and I think we're at a place where, um, you know, in-person instruction um, um, is going to be more reliable. Um, it's definitely a priority, and that's what we know works best for students. Um, so we're, you know, we're taking that and and you know, capitalizing on all the time that we have. I do just want to add to that. I think it's important to recognize that you know, we're not alone in a bubble, like everybody nationally is dealing with this and, and globally even, right? So this is something that everybody's sort of dealing with. And so when we think about learning loss or deficits or thinking about kids being, quote, behind, right, everybody's in the same spot. And so I, I do think I want to kind of just point to that. But also, MCCSC does consistently trend above state average in terms of what we see in our data, right? So I know that as a district, we are really well prepared. We have excellent administrators and teachers and staff who are doing their absolute best to meet student needs in every way possible. Yeah. If I can follow up on that, I just point of clarification, you use the term learning loss. I've used it before on this show. Mm -hmm. And some of the educators that were on the show yes. were like, don't use that we term. We don't use that term, okay. which is why, I mean, I nobody could see my air quotes, right, in, okay. in studio. But, you know, that was the sort of term that people yeah, were using yeah. was, quote, learning loss. My point is that everybody's yeah. in the same boat. So we're not, we don't really call it that at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 Mitch, did Mitch, you have another comment you wanted to make? Just, just that I, I think I... That's why we kind of use the term that um, um, you know we we're we're accelerating learning from this point forward, right? right. Um, it's um, kind of the growth mindset. Yeah, right, right. And Acacia, uh, since we're kind of on the topic of COVID and its effects, um, and of course we've seen uh, across the board again a national international uh, problem is the rise in um, student concerns about student mental health and. Um, all the, re the related concerns that have come out of, of, of thinking about mental health. Uh, what are you seeing, uh, both what have you seen in the perhaps this last year and what are you anticipating for the coming year? I, I'm sorry, in relation to mental health? Relation to mental health, student mental From health, COVID. and how much they're coming to, I assume that they're coming to um, the health offices, uh, hopefully, uh, with some of those concerns. Um, it, Mitch, you may have some observations about that as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of mental health, um, that that would typically be addressed by our counselors, our social workers, um, you know, and, and, and teachers to some degree. You know, they're, they're the front lines right. in the front lines in the classrooms, right? Um, but, um, you know, that that's who's typically kind of addressing those um, uh, immediate concerns. I think we're, um, you know, acknowledging that, you know, that's a national trend and, and something that we're very um, concerned about, um, you know, is that, um, again, obviously we're, we're a reflection of the, the community and society. So we're, we're trying to be proactive with, with that in terms of knowing that, um, that, um, you know that this is a concern and we want to address it you know we have some district-wide and school-wide programs um that help us kind of do that and then also you know making sure that we're very attentive um and um attuned to you know situations that do come up that are uh, more of an immediate concern or even a crisis and i'd like to chime in on that all of our health office um, staff and all of our buildings work very closely with our counseling departments and our social workers. So, you know, if we we do have students that we see are that we may have concerns, um, you know, we do work with those departments so that we can provide that child or that student with the all all of the care that they need so whether that be um, mental health physical health we want to make sure that we're encompassing all of those needs at school and the only way for us to do that is to really hone in on what that student needs by working as a team and i think we're you know we were already positioning ourselves um for this in that um you know in, in just in terms of our setup as a, uh, as a um, school as a whole, in terms of how we're educating um, the whole child, um, you know, a lot of, lot of schools or districts, um, they have what's called a multi-tiered systems of support. Um, we call it the whole child support system because that's exactly what it is. Um, we're acknowledging and making sure that we have supports in place 
not just for academics, but also for behavior, um, as well as, um, you know, social, emotional and, and mental mm-hmm. health. Um, so that's um, kind of how we are systematically how we operate already anyway. I want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, when we talk with people from schools these days, a lot of the issues we talk about don't have anything to do with what's going on in the classroom. So we will get to some of that. Um, but I, I've said to superintendents I've known before, it's like you're running in April, you're a board member, it's like you're running a small city. Absolutely. Because you've got to have, you've got these health needs and health services, you've got food services, you've got transportation services and a, a bus system that you have to run. So all of these things are, before you can even get the kids into the classroom with a book in front of them, they're all things that you have to have to deal with. So I guess the, the question I'm, I, I will get from that, that was kind of a statement, but the question I'll get from that, and this is for, for April, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of discussion in the legislature, for instance, in Indiana and other states about how teaching is going on in schools and what should be taught in schools. As a board member, what would you say about how MCCSC is doing about teaching the right things and teaching and teaching to make sure that kids grow? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I can kind of answer this from the position of a board member, but also as a former classroom teacher for MCCSC. You know, Mitch and I actually taught at Bloomington High School North at the same time. Um, And the thing is, you know, just thinking about like, well, A, the, the pandemic exposed so much of what we do in a school district, right? School districts across the country, because it isn't just about sitting in the classroom and doing academics, right? There are so many other things that schools are increasingly asked to provide, um, anything from mental health services to food services to um, all kinds of support, right? And so we know that we can't even get to the learning part unless kids have those basic needs met. So that's one thing that that as a district we are constantly looking at. Um, as a po- um, I guess when we come to the question of what's right, you know, I think... Um, that's different. It's different for every student in some way. It's different for every classroom. Um, but we, we do always try to um, advocate for uh, curricula that represent all students, first of all, things that will um, motivate them, things that will uh, set them up for success in their future endeavors, whatever those might be. You know, not all students go on to college. Many students go into trades. Many students go into other kinds of um, work and other fields. So we are trying to provide as a district um, as many options and avenues as we can for students to be successful in the lives that they choose after after they leave us, right? And so I think that's very, very important because um, we know that every student's path looks differently. And so the classroom is increasingly trying to attend to that in these various ways. And I think, you know, there are things that people definitely get hung up on, um, which is, I, I think that's always been the case, right? Now we hear it in these different ways because we have social media and and so it happens in these ways that maybe it didn't before. But, you know, we're doing our very best to abide by state standards to help influence what those standards might be as we see the world evolving and changing, and um, to do that in the way that uh, respects and honors all of the classes and all of the students in our in our district every day. Yeah. And are you anticipating any particular, I mean, obviously this gets into what we've been seeing happen in other states mm-hmm. with uh, the degree to which um, certain state legislatures have gotten very specific yes. um, about what they want to see. Um, haven't uh, haven't tended to see that here in Indiana, but are you seeing signs that that might be coming down the pike? Absolutely. I think that in the next legislative session, we're going to see a lot more of that. We saw some of it in the, mm-hmm. the session that just sort of concluded. Um, and I think, you know, we have to do what we can as community members, as parents, as people who work in schools or for schools or who have a vested interest, and we all should, right, in the education of our, of our students in any community, we should all have a vested interest in that, um, to be vocal, to speak up, to go to the state house, to write to our legislators, um, because that's the only way to really make sure that our voices are being heard and uh, to make sure that we don't sort of turn the clock back on some of the things that, some of the progress that we've made. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know if either of you, uh, Mitch or Occasion, want to comment on any of that as well. And if not, that's fine. We can move yeah, on. I, I, yeah, nothing to add. April did a great job um, answering that, so I don't think I have anything to add. You know, there are a lot, there are just a ton of issues that we can talk about, but I do want to make sure that we get this in. I want to talk about the uh, referendum the MCCSC is uh, going to have. Can you, and I guess April, you're the best person to talk about that too. Why is this necessary? This will be the third one, right? We've had. So it's yeah. to maintain what we have. And Absolutely. It's so, so important. I mean, the bulk of the referendum obviously goes to uh, supporting our our employment, right? So teachers, staff, all of that, uh, to salaries. That is where the bulk of the money goes to. And we have a very, very extensive um, referendum plan. We have materials on our website. You can click on referendum on the right-hand bar of the website. There is a referendum um tab so you can just click there and see all of the things that that are going on with the referendum but obviously it's it's very important we can't do what we do without it um, and in fact you know without it, um, it it looks pretty scary and I think we tend not to worry as much here because we have a lot of support from our community which I'm so grateful for we've passed the last two referendums with um, with a high margin so I expect in our predictions tend to show that that will be the case again. I do want the public to really get into our website and do some education. We held a lot of referendum sort of uh, education uh, sessions earlier before, you know, in the semester. But I think it's really important for people to understand because the wording on that can look a little confusing. And so I think we really need people to get in there, understand what that means, what that looks like for them. We have a, a calculator that can they can put in their own, you know, uh, their assessed value or whatever it is, and, and it'll spit out numbers for them. So I think just doing a little bit of education there and understanding what that is so when they get there to vote, they're completely informed. informed. To yeah. be um, a little more specific, I mean, what are the kinds of programs that um, will be supported? I know a lot of the money goes toward making sure we get teachers up to a reasonable amount of pay so we keep classrooms full mm -hmm. right, with right. educators. Um, what are some of the programs that might, um, you know, can you yeah. give an example of a program might go away? Yeah. Mitch? I can speak to that. Yeah, yeah I can speak to that. Um, you know, so, I mean, the facts are that um, uh, with a successful referendum, our plan is to um, uh, increase teacher salaries, uh, and, and so they would get um, a $4,500 raise um, to try to continue to bring them up and, um, you know, up to where we want them to be. Um, also, uh, another high priority is is um, increasing hourly staff um, um, wages um, to, um, so it'd be an additional $2.25 an hour raise. Um, and then beyond that, additional funding um, areas would be, um, uh, in special education, um, performing arts, STEM, and um, other special programming. So um, those are kinds of the, the, the primary areas um, where we'd, we'd see the most support from the referendum. Okay, Lori? Yeah, I want to go back to, um, well, uh, go back to Acacia um, and uh, turn to um, another public health uh, issue that we actually covered on this program a few weeks ago, which is monkeypox. Um, not that it looms as large as COVID has and, and to some extent still is um, going, but what are, you, uh, what are you anticipating, what are you planning for with respect to handling monkeypox? No, I think it's really hard to um, say what I'm anticipating because like with anything else, I don't think that we know. Um, what I can tell you is that we have a very good um, procedure in place for, you know, dealing with communicable disease or outbreaks of any sort. Um, and part of that plan is we are working very closely with our local health department. And, you know, we have taken the time to really educate our staff on 
what monkeypox could possibly look like for the corporation. And we have also trained, you know, what the signs and symptoms are. And then if there's any question of anything to reach out to me, and then I in turn will, you know, consult with Mitch and then we can reach out to our local health department for further guidance. And of course, COVID is still with us. I mean, we're still, we're hoping that that um, we don't see another variant, but you know, odds are we probably will. Um, are you uh, expecting that a lot of the protocols that were put in place to handle things um, in the past year, uh, that right now that's kind of your game plan uh, for those outbreaks going forward? Is that where you are? And Mitch can jump in on this too. We, we've kind of tackled this together, but um, the mitigation strategies that we currently have in place and that we have had in place, um, I think from my perspective, they have worked well. Um, that guidance can always change as we, we talk with our local health department and we get guidance from the state and the CDC. Um, but I feel that MCCSC as a whole has done a very good job of implementing strategies to, to keep students and staff within the corporation safe and healthy. Yeah, I, I actually, um, you know, just to jump off of what um, Acacia is saying, I, I feel really good about our um, ability to respond. Um, you know, we have some uh, general mitigation strategies in place, um, you know, that we, um, you know, that we take from the CDC and, and um, you know, the IDH and, and our local health department, um, you know, that are serving us well, that people now are comfortable with. Um, that they understand um, but you know we also have a, a very effective um, system in place so that if there are you know a, a spike here or a spike there or um, we see that there might be a, a little bit of a developing concern um, we have a very responsive um, system set up now um, that allows us to get guidance from the health department and then respond to that, uh, turn around and respond to that very quickly, um, you know, straight to the source, you know, whether that be um, in a classroom or in a school building. So um, I feel really good about that and where we're at with that right now. We have about 15 minutes to go in the program today, and we're talking with three people from the Monroe County Community School Corporation. Mitch Bratton is Director of Special Education, Acacia Axum is Director of Health Services, and April Hennessy is a member of the board. If you have questions or comments for them, you can send them to us at news at indianapublicmedia.org or on, on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can also call us and go on the air if you'd like or just leave your question, 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. One of the other um, big issues that you've had to deal with over the over the years, and just it doesn't seem to get any easier, is just security for students. So I know, you know, April, you've got the perspective of a board member. We have two other people who are in who are in and out of buildings all the time. What what's the MCCSC doing to try to make sure that? we avoid any of the tragedies like have happened at places like in Uvalde, Texas? Yeah, I mean, it's such a heavy topic, you know, yeah. and difficult because there's no easy solution. I think we, of course, as a district, are absolutely invested in the safety and security of our students and our staff and um, at all times. And so, you know, we do have safety plans um, and procedures that we don't share publicly for all of the obvious reasons. Um, but they are in place, they exist, and we are constantly sort of monitoring and updating and assessing to see, you know, what can we do differently? Um, what can we employ? Maybe what strategies exist that are new that we haven't yet looked at? I mean, those are all things that we're always doing. And, and not all of those things are visible to the public, right? And so I think sometimes it feels like nothing's happening or what are you doing or what are you saying? Or, and, and those are, that's precisely for safety reasons, right? Um, I will say as part of our strategic plan, we have instituted this sort of new procedure by which you know each month we talk about a different part of the plan. And so the broader overarching goals are equity, communication, funding, diversity, things like that, right? And then within each of those, there are like sub points. Um, and I think that our December topic is health and student safety. 
um, or student health and safety. And so that will be one of the things that we probably touch on or talk about. And we've done presentations in the past at board meetings on these things. So, you know, I, I, I know that this is something that everybody worries about. I have kids in the district. I worry every day when I send them to school. You know, we all do. Um, and we worry everywhere, in supermarkets and anywhere, anywhere these days. So it, it's certainly something that weighs on all of us heavily. Yeah. There, there are just, if I can follow up, some of the specifics, and we've, we've had people in to talk about school safety and various levels. Um, you know, what's the MCCSC's position at this point on, on uh, resource officers in the classrooms? Are they armed, not armed? Wow. Uh, this or one in is the, a, in the buildings. I, I, yeah, I should no, say, not no, and I think I mean there are so many school board meetings that probably address this that you can sort of return to for the answers to this too. Um, this we currently we do have school resource officers in our buildings. Um, they are currently not armed. Um, that decision was made at a board meeting back. I think I don't know, maybe it was March of last year. Um, so it's on public record, but um, you know. Despite that, I think we have so many other things in place as well, um, and those resource officers are excellent trained professionals who, who understand the scope of the plan. Mitch, it sounded like you wanted to say something. Yeah, um, I could probably just echo what um, April is saying, but um, you know, I will say um, over in, in the mo in the immediate time, you know, we have uh, increased our. Uh, the number of resource officers that that we have um, and that um, you know I would just say that they are highly trained and experienced um, professionals you know they all come from um, you know that public service service field uh, in, in law enforcement and um, you know I wish you know people could see their presence in schools and the positive um, impact that they have it's not it's probably not what uh, what a lot of people would think, but um, you know they're really focusing on um, uh, building relationships um, and and having you know positive communication. Um, you know their presence is a positive impact um, just in general all around. But um, you know they they do receive very um, um, specific special training, um, and we also have um, a director of safety for the corporation as well, and and. Um, you know that person is also trained and, and very aware of, of um, you know the, the kinds of things that um, from a safety standpoint we need to do as a district and within um, all of our buildings you know all of our buildings have safety teams um, and they are trained so um, again like April said there are a lot of behind the scenes things that I think that you know it's, it makes it difficult for the public um, because um, the nature of our safety overall safety plan um, to make it effective is that it's not, you know, full view facing to the public. Um, otherwise, it would not be effective. So I understand, you know, that in the public's view, it's, that's hard to accept sometimes because that's not uh, as transparent as maybe some other things like, you know, our curriculum or, um, you know, our our uh, plan for COVID or those those kinds of things. This has been relatively new, too. I, I have to say, you know, I've been around a long time, and I remember when Judy DeMuth came as superintendent, she said her number one priority was student safety. And, you know, when she got here, doors weren't being locked around the school districts, you know, around in the various schools. And, you know, now, I mean, things have changed so much in just that time period from her to Dr. Hauswald. And it's you know, it's it's something that you're all grappling with, and everybody's learning at the same time. It seems to yeah, me. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny. My my kids were saying just the other day, you know, they were watching some like '90s based TV show, and they're like, "How are all these these kids are just walking around outside their campus? Like they're just on the lawn eating lunch? What is this real?" And I was like, "It, it kind of was, you know. I mean, that was the reality at one point, and it's not for our kids these days. And it makes me really sad that that's that's yeah. what we have is these schools that are locked down. It's really a sad sad state of affairs yeah i mean for 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 what it's worth the point the point about the the way resource officers build relationships we heard that in the previous discussion about about school safety that that's really what they're aiming for and i i have to say i'm i'm of an age that um uh, went was in um well it was junior high school then back in the late late 60s 
high school in the early 70s, and there were police officers uh, um, in the halls. There were bomb threats. There were kids who brought knives to school, et cetera, et cetera. And that was going on. It was a very tumultuous time in our country mm-hmm. uh, in the late 60s, certainly. So I, I say that only that as a maybe a bit of cold comfort that you know, we have been through these things before. And I, I do see an awful lot of... Um, people really thinking very hard and very deeply and thoughtfully about these issues. Uh, and and certainly we're also seeing, I think, uh, Bob, you mentioned Uvalde, uh, the terrible tragedy there that I think we've also seen some limitations to some of what we thought was going to keep, uh, keep kids safe. And so it is a constant changing environment that does rely on people talk, communicating with each other and trusting each other to, to stay safe. So right. I commend you for your efforts. Um, I have a uh, just a kind of maybe a little bit of an off the wall question, um, but uh, from my background uh, might make sense, which is in technology. Um, COVID again obviously revealed some issues with technology, both within the school and, of course, for students at home. I'm just wondering uh, to what extent that's now affecting both the infrastructure in the school um, and and how you're approaching students in terms of uh, curriculum, but also for teachers uh, in thinking about how they perhaps use technology differently based on the experience over the last couple of years. Mitch, well, I, yeah, I would say, I mean, if there's been any kind of silver lining um, with COVID, it has been in this area of technology, right? It's forced us all to become more proficient and, you know, rely on strategies and ways for uh, you know, instruction that we had hadn't had to, and and in, in doing that, I think we found that um, you know that's there have been some positive learnings about that. I mean, you know, we will always say um, you'll always hear us as educators say that in-person learning is the best, and that's where we want kids. But there's some uses of technology and things that we've been able to do um, that absolutely enhances that in-person learning and can also set us up to um, provide more access uh, in certain situations with students uh, in terms of, you know, when they're absent, you know, due to illness or maybe due to COVID or maybe because, um, you know, they they are, um, you know, um, maybe they are have an acute ish, issue or or maybe they're um, have been diagnosed with leukemia. Um, I mean, there, there are certainly um, things that technology and our our development of our knowledge and use of it um, that has allowed us to to do more, more things um, instructionally and also think about um, how we want to continue to do that moving forward. You know, uh, aside from a pandemic or you know those fears that we've had in the past, um, you know, how is this going to be able to benefit us uh, moving forward? You know. Um, for to to be able to provide um, you know alternative ways um, access um, for instruction and um, teaching. Yeah, and there's also obviously um, cybersecurity issues to think about um, there as well, and those are increasingly uh, things that that technology environment has to accommodate. Absolutely. We only have about uh, three or four minutes to go. We've got a maybe maybe we can get in two more questions. I've got one I wanted to ask all three of you, and that that is just you know everybody talks about what's going on in the schools, and everybody's got everybody's been to school, so they know you know exactly what you all should be doing. What do people, you know, what do you want people to know about what's going on in the school buildings in the MCCSC on a just on a daily, regular basis. I'm going to start with April as a board member and then go to, to Acacia and Mitch. You know, I think what's going on in schools, it's just good stuff. I mean, kids are learning, they're growing, programs are expanding. I think every year we have new and exciting things to sort of do. You know, we, got, we have the STEM to them bus that drives around to these different schools and kids get to experience technology in these different ways um, and, and sort of experiment and play. I think we're bringing more and more play into different, you know, spaces. Um, and so I think there, there's just exciting stuff happening. And I think more than ever, students have more options, right? Pathways and things to choose from. Um, certainly, I've seen that with my own kids. I have one who just graduated, um, one who's 10 and one who's a junior right now. And so that seeing the sort of spectrum of what kids have access to is exciting. Yeah. Mitch? 
Yeah, I I also like April. I, I kind of want to um, make a comment based on my own personal experience as a parent. Um, you know, I have a, a a sophomore and a junior now at, at North, and just having a conversation um, the other day with my junior. I mean, it, it it still you know blows my mind that he's a junior and we're to this point, but you know he's telling me about how yeah he's he's pretty much uh, locked down his his post post high school uh, plans that he's, you know, intends to go to IU and he intends to uh, go into cybersecurity and just thinking about like, um, you know, the opportunities that he's had in school, that he's had in high school, the guidance that he's gotten to be able to uh, help him to arrive at such a definitive decision, right? I mean, it, it really is amazing. Um, and it just makes me think about, um, you know, all the how hard people work to help him get there, um, you know, between teachers and counselors. And, um, you know, it's just um, it really is a great thing. It, it It's a great illustration of of, you know, all the the great things that happen within schools, um, you know, that go along with teaching, but also um, not teaching in the classroom. Right. It's yeah. just it all comes together and, and makes for great experiences for kids. Acacia, we have about a minute to go. I think, you know, for all of those great things to happen, we're seeing them all the time across NCCSC. You know, we're seeing students that are are finalizing their plans, what they want to do after school. Um, and in order for those students to be able to do that from a health standpoint, as April said earlier in the show, you know, we have to ensure that those basic needs are met before they can you know, kind of set in the classroom um, and get to that point of those after school goals. Um, so we are really focusing on how we can keep students in school so that they can, you know, continue continue their journey, whether they are just starting out in elementary school or they're a junior in high school. Um, and so we're incorporating things like community health outreaches you know we're we're still doing our, our vision screenings and our immunization clinics but this year we've been fortunate enough to offer dental clinics in all of the schools so that we can help provide that that continuing care and have those basic student needs met all right i think we're out of time now thank you well we only got to one more question but thank you your answers were all great i want to thank uh, co-host Lori mcgrabi and i want to thank our guests mitch bratton april hennessy and acacia axum and also helping on the program today, we had our producers, Benton Boutier, Kathy Knapp, and Nathan Moore, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com and from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future healthcare in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.